Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. I lost an hour of sleep, and I'm still bugged. Are you? It's like, I need that hour of sleep. Who took it away? So I'm going to, I had some coffee, and I think by the, uh, by 12 o'clock, I'm feeling better. Remember, we still have 10 more minutes for people to come filtering in. So don't laugh at them, all right? I know how that goes. I love, if you haven't figured it out, I love to see disciples made. I love to see how God works in your life. Sometimes you ask, well, how does that happen? What, what, what takes place in my life? What takes place in your life, first of all, is that you're all eligible when you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. All of us are eligible. We're eligible because we're being made disciples. And as we're being made disciples, we can go and make disciples. That's the beauty of the body of Christ, that all of us can participate. In almost 24 years here, I have those little spots along the way that the Lord indicates to me that things are happening and things are headed in the right direction. Some of you heard this story before, but it happened, I think, oh, 10 or 12 years ago. Annette said, I need you to pick up some things at Thriftway. So I headed down there, and she knows it'll probably take two, three times longer because we have church at Thriftway. It doesn't matter. I've prayed for some of you in aisle 3A. I've prayed for some of you in aisle 6B. And wherever we are, we pray. And you know what? We pray with our eyes open so people think we're looking for tomato soup. But we're praying together. That's what's great right there. I was at the store and I was walking down an aisle and I saw a grandma and her grandson walking down the aisle and I saw the grandson look at me and he went, and he looked up at his grandma and I thought he was going to say, there's the pastor. What he said was, grandma, that's the guy who goes to my church. And it was at that moment, that revelation, it was like the Lord just opening the door just a little bit and saying, that's what you have to keep doing. Because it has to do with you getting your hands on something that is connected with you becoming more like Jesus. This isn't just a pastor of a church. This is a faith community that we all get to participate in, that we all have to and get an opportunity to share in. And I love to hear that from the mouth of babes saying, aha, this is my church. And it is a good church. I love the spirit of grace. I love what God has done in people's lives. I love the kindness. And again, I always pick it up usually from the mouth of babes. I remember a few years ago at our Christmas services, I was walking out here, just right out those doors, and the twin boys, my boys, my twi- not my boys, but my, my, my church boys, they came walking in, and they just stopped, and they looked at me, and one said to the other, hey, he has a deep voice, hey, that's the guy that likes us. He didn't know what I did. He didn't know the position I held. He said, hey, that's the guy that likes us. Say that to your neighbor. Hey, that's the guy that likes us, yeah. See, that's so great. That's what church is all about. And God wants you to participate in that. He really does. Engage 
Walk the walk, and I know you're going to be blessed. I know you are going to be blessed. I want you to do this with me. Open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. We're going to continue our study in the Gospel of John, and as we got to chapter 18, or get to chapter 18, and I was studying it this week and reading it, I felt just a tinge of sadness in my heart. I want to tell you why I felt sad. I was looking at John 18 and recognizing that we've been in the Gospel of John now for about 18 months. And I have to tell you, this is one study that has radically just changed my life and is changing my life and is changing the way that I see Jesus Christ. And the reason I was sad is because I recognized there are only 21 chapters and we're in chapter 18. And so we're going to be wrapping it up pretty soon. And I don't, I don't want to say goodbye. I'm lousy with goodbyes. I love this gospel. I love John's presentation of Jesus Christ. I love everything that he says about our Lord. And you see it here. And that's why I want you to look at this with me. Because some wonderful things are happening. John chapter 18 for me is really the initiation or the flashpoint of the passion of our Lord. That in John chapter 18, he's entering his passion. He's entering his suffering in this particular chapter. See, what we've done is we've been on a bit of a journey. We've concluded the upper room discourse where he's taught us. And that began in John chapter 13. It was finished with Jesus praying in John 17. And don't you just love that prayer? It's the longest prayer in the Bible. And Jesus prays for three things. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples he sees and he's spent three and a half years with. But then he prays for you. The latter part of the prayer is really praying about the next generations that will be followers of Christ. And so he's thinking of you when he's praying this wonderful prayer as he's headed into the Garden of Gethsemane. I love that about our Lord. He's always thinking ahead. Now chapter 18 begins what we would call like the fifth part or the fifth section of John's gospel. John is divided into five parts, so this is the last part. It's the fifth part. And if you were going to label it anything, this is how you would label it. You would say this last part is the witness of Jesus to the world. Remember up to this part right here, Jesus is telling people, hey, my time hasn't come. My time hasn't come. My time hasn't come. Well, now we enter this part, and he says, my time has come. The time has come where he enters his suffering and he does this for you. He does this for me. And he's saying, my my time is here. He's arrested in this chapter. He's taken before the high priest Caiaphas in this chapter. And the way that John presents Jesus is really different than the other three Gospels. I I love all the Gospels. I love the whole Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on the humanity of Christ. And we need to know about the humanity of Christ. We need to know all we can know about his humanity, his human nature, his sufferings, the sufferings of Jesus. In the first three Gospels, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem and he looks down on Jerusalem What he begins to talk about is his suffering and that he's going there to die and that he's going to be abused at the hands of both his own people, the Jews, and the Gentiles. That he's entering this time of suffering. But then, you open the Gospel of John 
And the emphasis is now on the deity of Jesus Christ. The majesty of Jesus. Here he's seen as the God-man. John wants you to see his glory. And that's really what he wants you to see. He's saying, can you, can you see it? Do you see his glory? Do you see that he's always connected to his father in heaven? He's maintained that. He's, he's developed that. He talks about it in front of all of us to hear through the gospel of John. I love this writer. He's the one that said about himself. And he, and he says this in his writings. He's the one that Jesus loves. John the beloved. Guess what? You're the ones that Jesus loves. He loves you say that i'm the one that jesus loves say it oh when you say that do you realize just your very breath that very confession puts you in a place to see his glory to see his majesty to see his greatness John does something here, and I, I don't know if you've seen the development of the ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of John. I thought it was worth bringing out. I really did, because it's prophetic. When you follow the Gospel of John, there is a pattern to be seen in the ministry of Jesus. In chapters 1 through 12, Jesus is a great prophet. He's heralding, he's saying, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the great shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And then you look in chapters 13 through 19 and you see Jesus as our great high priest. And that's what we're going to read in just a moment in chapter 18. And I want you to know that before you go into it, that when you hear the voice of our Lord, when you see how John presents him in chapter 18, you have to know at that moment he's acting as your great high priest. What does a high priest do? He teaches us. Well, that's been the discourse in the upper room. What does a great high priest do? He prays for you. John chapter 17. And then there's another thing that a great high priest does. And that is that he offers sacrifice. But in this case, he offers himself as a sacrifice. (laughs) And then you go to these places in the gospel of John and especially in John chapters 20 and 21 and he's seen as your conquering king. He goes to hell and he takes away the keys of death for us. He rises from the grave for us and he ascends to the father for us. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You see what he's done? He is your prophet, he is your priest, and he is your king. And you read about that, and it's so well put. When you look at John chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. It said, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, Because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment or cohort of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. 
Jesus, knowing all this was going to happen to him, went out and he asked them, who is it that you want? Or who is it that you're looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. And if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have lost not one of those that you gave me. And then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for all the people. What a beautiful passage of scripture. There's so much to be said in these few verses. And I, I just want to share a few things that come to light when I read this, when I recognize what was going on here. Because this is remarkable. Even in the face of suffering, in the face of death, Jesus has this unfailing majesty that reveals itself in these few verses. It's amazing. And there's a word that prophesied this, and there was many in the Old Testament, but the one that's dear to my heart is Psalm 11, verse 3. It says this, everything that he does reveals his glory and his majesty. His righteousness never fails. So I began to look at this and study this. There were some things that stood out. Some things became very clear and I want to tell you what one of those things is. It's a very beautiful thing to me because it's the sovereign majesty of Jesus Christ. Under what, for other people, were incredibly difficult circumstances. Did you know that everyone here, as they collide in the garden, they're all uneasy. They're all anxious. But you see all these forces coming together. You see the forces of darkness coming. You see the force of light coming. You see all this collision taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're uneasy people. Even those who came to arrest him were very uneasy. You would think that the police on this occasion would be the calm, cool, and collected ones. It was anything but. Why would this posse be so uneasy? I mean, this was just a street preacher. He'd never hurt anybody. He'd never lifted a finger to hurt anyone. Every encounter that he had was well documented. Every encounter he had was an encounter of grace, was an encounter of love, was an encounter of healing. And yet you see all these people coming together. But do you know how they came to arrest him? 
We're told that they brought their lamps and they brought their torches and they brought their swords and they brought their spears and they brought their clubs. Why? They were uneasy. Several scholars tell us that the phrase detachment or band or cohort, which you read in your Bible, is about 500 men. Now picture it. 500 men, it does not include the other officials and the Pharisees. So you can guess and pretty much be clear that there were six to 700 men and some say up to 1,000. Can you imagine this many men walking with their torches at night? I've been there. You could look down into the Kidron Valley. You can see people coming. Jesus saw them coming. Up to a thousand men. A thousand men for a poor street preacher and his friends. These are uneasy people. These are people who have a big problem on their hands. Can, can you see this? Bringing a bunch of cavalry and several hundred of them to arrest him? Hundreds of men with torches and swords and spears and clubs. They were anxious. And then in verse 4 it says, Jesus knowing all this, and listen to this, he went out. You have to see this. You have to see what he's doing here. He's fulfilling the prophetic word. You know what he's doing? He's going out to meet this band of murderers so that he protects his disciples. He's standing between the two forces and he's saying, not on my watch. Not one will be lost. And then I'm reminded of the scripture that says, he is my shield, he's my buckler, He's my strong tower in a day of trouble. You see, still, even today, he stands between you and the forces of darkness. He is your intercessor. He shields you. The Bible says in Psalm 3.3, you are my strong tower. You are my shield, and I love this. You are the glory and the lifter of of my head. You know, some of us are walking around today because of the circumstances. We're walking around of these horrible weights put upon us, and our head is starting to drift downward, and our shoulders are starting to bow, and we're starting to, to, to fall under the pressure, the weight of our circumstances. And the Lord says, Do this. Remember, I am the glory and the lifter of your head. Some of you today just need to lift your head, lift your eyes, look to the heavens, and there from the hills comes my help. My help is found in the Lord. Lift your head with me and say this. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. Say that. Glory and the lifter of my head. Wow. Do you know the power in that? That confession? What you're saying is I choose not to face the world alone, but I choose to get behind the shield. I choose to come back and I say, you are the one who goes before me. You stand in the gap. He is interceding for you, for you and for me. He is our great high priest, always interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, and he is the great high priest who knows everything you're going through. 
every trial, every tribulation, he knows what you're going through. Who is it you want? Who is it you're looking for? The answer, Jesus of Nazareth. It's found in verse 5. And then what does he say? I am he. You have to see what he's doing here. He's taking us back to a place in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3, verse 3. And Moses goes and he's out there in the wilderness and he sees a burning bush. And he has this conversation. And at the end he said, well, who shall I say sent me? And the response was, you tell them that I am sent you. I am the great I am. Jesus was saying that I am the Prince of Peace. That I am your great healer. That I am your great deliverer. It says after he says this, they drew back and they fell to the ground. You know what I think happened here? I think suddenly they became aware of something and that was the I am character of the one who stood before them. And at that very moment, they caught a glimpse. They looked into his majesty, his righteousness, his power, and they couldn't stand up under that. They knew what they were about to do was profoundly wrong. And they fell back because they heard the breath of God say, I am he. I am the great I am. And in verse 12, it says that this detachment of soldiers, they bound him or they handcuffed Jesus and they took him into custody. Let me make something clear to you. I don't believe that for one moment. I believe what the word says here, of course. The text is right. But Jesus was giving himself over. He was surrendering. He was laying his life down. And he was thinking of you. You don't believe for one moment that if they were going to hold him and he didn't want to be held, it would happen? Listen, the chains of the demoniac couldn't hold him. The chains of Samson could not hold him. Do you think these handcuffs could hold the Lord of lords and the king of kings, the one who had the spirit without end or measure? He chose to surrender. They didn't take him. He gave himself over. The one who broke the bonds of death. The one who broke the gates of hell and the grave. He's the one who let them make the arrest. When you read this, do you see some of the irony? But let me tell you what some of the irony here is in this story. They use torches and lamps to look for the light of the world. They use clubs and spears on the Prince of Peace. And they took the great high priest before a high priest. <sighs> Foolishness at its pinnacle. To think that you could capture with your strength the Lord of Lords. Folly. All is folly. He let them do it. 
in the midst of all of this, someone else was pretty uneasy as well. This detachment's uneasy. And then you go to this other group of people that are very uneasy. It's the disciples. They're uneasy. And of course, who is going to express this uneasiness, this anxiety? Who always expresses it? It's Peter. Peter just jumps out. He's, he's representing the disciples and the way they feel. What does he do here? He couldn't believe that they were taking his Lord away. He was anxious and he thought that something needed to be done. So what does he do? He pulls out his sword and he starts swinging. You know how we know he's a fisherman? Because he didn't hit his target. He just caught an ear. Someone who knows how to use a sword knows exactly what they're doing. This guy just caught a man's ear. He got up that day. I'm sure he's thinking, wow, it's getting pretty tense in Jerusalem. You know what I should do? I should pack today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry a concealed weapon with me today just in case. Now, I don't know where he found this concealed weapon because all he has is fishing gear. He probably remembered, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think my grandpa, he gave me a sword. I better go check and see where it is. And he goes and he opens his box of goodies and he's going through fishing nets and he's going through all kinds of stuff, rusty, stinky stuff. And he looks down and he goes, oh, there's the sword. Like, that's going to do him any good. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And he takes this sword and he starts swinging it. And I read this story and it occurs to me, there are two miracles here. There's not just one, there are two. The one that we know, it's obvious. Jesus looks at it, he goes, wow. Takes the ear off the ground and he puts it back on Malchus's head. And he's healed. That's a miracle. But the second miracle... Peter comes out alive. That's a miracle. These guys that came to get him, they were professional killers. They were standing there already drawn swords, already spears ready to go. And Peter starts swinging like, who does he think he is? This is like the shootout at the OK Corral. He's just setting something off. The miracle is that in seconds, he wasn't shish kebab ten times. And there's a reason he wasn't. Same reason we don't get shish kebabbed. Jesus steps in. He steps into the fray. He saves his impetuous disciple. And he says, let the men go. And they did. In all of the confusion, they took off, including Peter. He got away. That's a miracle. And then you go on and you see this. And you recognize when you're reading this story how close to home it hits. I've had days where there's been confusion, uncertainty, anxiety, apprehension, circumstances that seemed out of control. And I just want to say this. I want to say that there has never been a moment in the life of our Lord where the circumstances controlled him. He is the master of circumstances. He's unfailing in all that he does. His majesty is unfailing. It's being tested here. And you would think if, if it's a made of a house of cards, it's going to crumble right here. Things are going to fall apart right here. Sure. That's what's going to happen. But it doesn't. 
Jesus is in charge. The master of your circumstances. Everything's under his control. I love it. He doesn't let anything in your life go unnoticed. Don't you think that for one moment he's forgotten. He doesn't forget. The only time that we see him pressed is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's where he's laying prostrate before his Father in heaven. And he says to his Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But if not, my will not be done. Your will be done. Let your will be accomplished in my life. Why is he doing that? Why is it here in the garden that he sweats great drops of blood? Why is he seen pressed here? The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy. Jesus is majestic through all that he faces. You know what majestic means? Majestic means belonging to or befitting a supreme ruler. And I don't believe that you will ever get under any circumstance that he isn't able to lift you up if you give him a chance. I want to say this. I want us to go back to one question that I didn't vet very well and I did it for a reason. But I want to circle back because the question is appropriate to ask now. And when you hear this question, I want you to hear it as if it's spoken to you personally. And here's the question. Who are you looking for? You see, in the story, at least his enemies had something going. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, good start. Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Who is it you're looking for? Who is it you're looking for when you need help to redeem a broken relationship? Who is it you're looking for when you need healing in your body and in your mind and in your spirit? Who is it? Are you looking in other places? Are you looking to the world for your answers? Where are you looking? Who is it that you're looking for? Who is it you're looking for when you know you are absolutely, utterly lost and you need a savior? Who is it you're looking for? Are you looking for Buddha? Are you looking for the million gods in Hinduism? Who is it? Who are you looking for? Or are you looking for Jesus of Nazareth? Because if you look, you will find that he is all that you need. We see that here. And what's amazing about the majesty, the unfailing majesty of our Lord, it's not only apparent to us, 
us who have maybe greater eyes and ears to see and hear. But his majesty, it's unfailing in the world. This is the time of his witness to the world. I think of all those places that God shows up and people aren't paying attention. That God shows up and his witness is there, but are they looking? Who is it they're looking for? I think about the man who wants to end his life. He wants to do it away from his family because he doesn't want them to see it. So he goes into a motel room with a bottle of pills and a bottle of booze. And he says, I'm going to end it here, right here and now. And over on the nightstand, he looks and there's the Gideon Bible. There, there's an answer. There's a witness right there. Or the English literature student who's never gone into church. Her whole life has never heard about Jesus Christ. And when asked, what are you studying? She says, Dante's Inferno. His purgatory and his paradise. And we're also looking at Milton. His paradise lost and his paradise regained. The gospel wrapped up in all those stories. His witness. I remember one day when I was watching TV. I just stopped because what I heard coming out of the TV captured my attention. It was Leonard Bernstein conducting Handel's Messiah. And I'll never forget the way that the camera zoomed in on him and they caught him. Just If you picture that, just the batons and the hair flying. He's per- perspiring. He's, he, you could tell he just, he is in to the song. He's lost in the greatness of that moment. King of kings, Lord of lords, he shall reign forever and ever. And you know what I thought? I thought, could it really be that in that judgment, if Leonard Bernstein never comes to know Christ, that God will simply turn in that moment and he'll say to the angel Gabriel, he'll say, hey, go down to those TV files, get into the library, pull out that clip. And then on that great heavenly screen, there's going to be a picture of Leonard Bernstein lost in the greatness and the grandeur of greatness, probably one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, a tribute to the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And he can hear God saying, Leonard, why didn't you catch it? King of kings, Lord of And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. The unfailing majesty of God is the witness to the world that you and I live in. Let's open our eyes and let's pray others do as well. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? I'm going to invite our worship team and our care teams if they don't mind getting their places in this, uh, this sanctuary in this room and if you need prayer immediately following the service would you, would you go receive prayer today would you do that what I want to do right now is I want to talk to those with our heads bowed our eyes closed I want to talk to those who know they're lost 
that today there is a witness of God in your life. There's a witness that he cares. You've heard the word. It's a witness like the Gideon Bible. It's a witness like studying Dante. It's a witness like Leonard Bernstein leading that great, great song, Handel's Messiah. Today it's the same. Don't miss it. There's a witness. There's a witness. I said earlier that he's inviting you to come. The question is, will you receive the invitation? Because the witness is clear. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I'm going to pray, and I'm asking everyone in this room just to follow me in the prayer. And when we're done praying, for those that prayed the prayer to receive Christ in their heart, that you know that you need your sins forgiven, you know that you're lost, you pray this prayer. And at the end of the prayer, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand. And, and when you do, I'm not going to call you out. It's not intended to embarrass anybody. It's intended that there's a confession made. And I want to see your hand so I can pray with you. The prayer goes like this. Would everyone follow me, please? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. you are the King of Kings. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the Lord of Lords. Your majesty is unfailing. Your majesty is unfailing. And today I see my need for you. Today I see my need for you. I'm lost. I'm lost. I need a savior. So forgive me of my sins. So forgive me of my sins. Today I confess with my mouth. Today I confess with my mouth. Today I believe in my heart. Today I believe in my heart. That you are my Lord and Savior. You are my Lord and Savior. You're my only Lord and Savior. You're my only Lord and Savior. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. Because I know you've been looking for me. Because I know you've been looking for me. Come into my heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.